Love What Matters presents Your Story is a production of Love What Matters and iHeartRadio. Welcome to Love What Matters presents Your Story. I'm your host, Colin Balf, founder of Love What Matters. Love What Matters is so much more than a brand or a company to me. A few years ago, my mother got sick with ovarian cancer. Eventually, the chemotherapy didn't work anymore, and we knew she had a couple of months left to live. And so in those months, I was very fortunate to have a chance to say goodbye to her. I would fly into Florida and see her. And with every meeting, she would basically look at me and say, you're my youngest son. I know you're going to have a very hard time with my death. I know you're going to have a very hard time with my passing. I want you to take this pain and take this grief and use it to fuel you and use it to create something beautiful. And so that's what I've tried to do with Love What Matters. I've tried to create a place where people can share their personal stories of hope, of compassion, of kindness, of grief, and to really showcase not only the pain in life, but what can come out of that pain. And a lot of times it's really beautiful. This season on Love What Matters presents Your Story. I'm sitting down with some pretty remarkable and real people to hear their raw stories. We didn't have any kids. Like, we didn't have any children at all on Wednesday. And then Thursday came and they were like, oh, you, we want you to foster a child. And it's not like this is like a teenager or a child that knows how to care for themselves. This is a newborn, like from birth. It was just like, holy cow, we're going to take care of this baby for six months to a year, we need a car seat, we need a crib, we need diapers, we need this, we need that. It was so like, oh my goodness, this is really happening. So we were trying to process that and like thinking about like, okay, where can we go to get a crib? Where can we go to get a car seat? That kind of stuff to just to be able to help these birth parents out. The next day they called and said, hey, they want you to adopt the baby. And I was just like, what? So now... We didn't have kids two days ago. Yesterday, we had a foster child. Today, we have a child. It literally happened overnight. Within a 24 to 48 hour time span, our whole lives changed in like the blink of an eye. I'm Colin Balf, and this is Love What Matters presents Your Story. Today, we're bringing you a story from Sadie, who found a great reward at the end of a long road dealing with infertility. After two years trying to conceive, she and her husband received a life-changing call that made them parents overnight. Sadie's story of perseverance has really inspired me, and I hope it does the same for you. Me and my husband actually met online on this online dating website. I had just moved to Houston three or four months prior. So I was just kind of dabbling, trying to meet friends, stuff like that, just because I was new to the city. So we matched on there and it was like, oh, I'm glad I swiped right. <laughs> it wasn't on Tinder, but it was a match. The two were deeply in love and wanted to start having kids as soon as possible. From the very beginning, like my husband and I had always talked about having kids and everything like that. You know, that's what you do. You fall in love, you get married, you have kids. That's the routine. 
In October of 2017, I got my birth control taken out because I had heard that it takes a few months for a woman's body to get back normal after birth control. And I had been on birth control consecutively for four years. So I was trying to, you know, just get ready for after the wedding. So that way we could start trying like right away. I got the birth control taken out in October. And then every month from then, we were just kind of trying, you know, tracking that kind of thing. I had went to like my doctor to get them to run different tests, lab work, stuff like that, just to see like if everything was okay. And as far as they could tell, everything was normal. They just kept saying like, oh, maybe you're not getting pregnant because of your weight. So they encouraged me to, you know, work out, stuff like that. And I've always been super active. Like I was an athlete in high school and middle school, that kind of thing. I've just always been on the larger side. So that was mainly the thing that they were telling me was like, oh, if you lose weight, you'll get pregnant right away. Sadie had a choice to make. For me, it was like I have family history of diabetes and things like that. And it's always been super important to me not to pass that kind of thing on to my kids. And I mean, even if I didn't, they didn't have it, like, you know, like it's still a possibility, but I wanted to just do everything I could to be healthy enough to raise kids, keep up with my kids, that kind of thing. So, I mean, I had tried everything. I was going to the gym regularly. I was eating right. And I just wasn't losing as much weight. And it wasn't, it's not really the weight for me because I embrace body positivity and everything like that. But it was more of, I'm not getting pregnant and it's because of my weight. So I was trying to do everything that I could. So when I found out that my health insurance covered the surgery, then I was on it right away, like from the very beginning. So in February of 2019, I had gastric bypass surgery, which is weight loss surgery where they remove about 75% of your stomach. So that way you physically can't eat as much as you used to. So I had that surgery in February of 2019. And within the first month, I had already lost like 30 pounds and I'm down a total of 80 right now. Losing an excess amount of weight can change a person's fertility. But when you have a weight loss surgery, like Sadie did, doctors will say to wait a year to a year and a half before trying to conceive. But Sadie didn't want to wait. She wanted to get pregnant. But even with her surgery, it just wasn't happening. They call it a POAS addict, which is a pee on a stick addict, because like you get so obsessed with wanting to get pregnant that you are literally taking a test every day. Like, oh, my cycle's late. Maybe I'm pregnant. But Everybody knows that it could be stress. It could be a number of things. And then like when you're trying to get pregnant because you know when you ovulate, you can start testing like 12 days after ovulation, which is way before your missed period. So I was like obsessed and like taking tests regularly. Like I was taking tests with me to work so I could take a test at work. And every time like I would take a test, it was negative. And there was at one point where I had swore I saw a line on the test and me and my husband like were like, okay, we're not going to get excited because we don't know if this is real. And then the second we started getting excited was when my cycle came and I had went to the emergency room and everything. And they were like, oh, it looks like you had an early miscarriage, that kind of thing. But they wouldn't really say like if I was pregnant or not because they hadn't been able to test me for pregnancy at the beginning. So it was like we ended up grieving a miscarriage that we ended up finding out later on that I wasn't actually pregnant. So it's like you have line eyes, like you want to see a positive line on a test so bad that you stare at it and you stare at it until you see the line. More with Sadie after a quick break. I'm Colin Balf. Welcome back to Love What Matters. 
Sadie went back to her OBGYN, who referred her to a fertility specialist. They ran tests on me and found out that, like, I was fine completely. And then um, they did tests on my husband and found out that we actually had male factor infertility. It's not something that we talk about a lot just because it's kind of personal. But they told us basically, like, our options were to either adopt or do IVF. And, like, the cost of IVF, it's like 18000 plus each cycle. So it's like a huge expense and you don't know if you're actually going to get pregnant. Once we found out like that was our option, we were like, oh, the cost is way too expensive for IVF. The cost is way too expensive for adoption. Maybe we're just meant to be godparents. Like we have two goddaughters and I was like, well, maybe that's what we're supposed to do. Maybe we're just supposed to be aunts to our nieces. And like, I've always been really good with kids. Same with my husband. Maybe we were literally just put on this earth to help other people take care of their kids. And we just gave up. And I mean, it was hard, but at the same time, it was like a stress reliever because we had been spending so much time being obsessed with trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant, trying to get pregnant, that it was just taking a toll on us as individuals, not so much as on our relationship, but just us as individuals, like me not feeling worthy, him not feeling worthy, like, why isn't this happening for me? So it was becoming like a thing where our whole lives were revolved around it. So we were just like, you know what? I think it's just time we take a step back and whenever something's supposed to work out for us, then it'll happen whenever we least expect it. It was late Wednesday night. Sadie's family was preparing to go on a four-day cruise to Mexico, but Sadie wasn't joining. Both she and Jarvis had just started new jobs and couldn't get off work. But Sadie's little sister had forgotten her life jacket and Sadie went to drop it off. That's when Sadie's best friend texted her. She said, hey, would you ever be interested in fostering or adopting a baby? And I was like, well, yeah, of course, but the cost for that is so expensive. I was like, I don't know how anybody could actually afford that. Like, I'm 23. I don't have $50,000 just sitting around for fun. So I just told her like, yeah, I would, but I don't think that it's a realistic situation. And she kind of just told me like, hey, well, I may have some, I may know of a couple that's looking to place their baby up for foster care or for adoption. And I told them that I thought that you would be a good fit. And I was like, okay. And it was kind of just, I kind of blew it off because I was like, there's no way in heck that this is just going to fall out the sky. (laughs) Sadie and Jarvis discussed the idea of fostering the child and agreed to do it. They were worried about getting attached, but at the end of the day, they wanted to help a child in need. So then we told them, yeah, we'll foster the baby. Then the next day they called back and said, the birth parents have decided that they want you guys to adopt the baby instead. And we were like, what? And I'm at work, like literally in training in this class where I'm supposed to be learning like computer systems and things. So I'm sitting there and I get this phone call and I walk out into the hallway and I'm standing like on the third floor where like all the like CEOs and stuff are. And I'm standing there and this social worker is telling me, like, they want you to adopt the baby. What made it click to me was she said, you need to spend the weekend and start getting stuff together. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, you need a car seat. And I was like, what? A car seat? Are you serious? Like, what? (laughs) Like yesterday or the day before yesterday, I didn't even know anything about a baby. After almost two years of trying to have a baby, Sadie and Jarvis were finally being offered the chance to be parents. He was already a week and a half old um, at this point. So he had already been born. It wasn't like we had a lot of time to prepare. Like most people, when they adopt, they find out while the birth parents are still pregnant. But we found out way after the fact. 
It just happened so fast and it just came totally out the blue. So I was in the hallway at work on the floor, like literally I had slid down the wall and I was sitting on the floor, like sprawled out basically on the phone with the caseworker. And then I had to hang up with her and call my husband and try to explain to him. And I'm like, I wish I would have just called you on three-way because I don't even, I feel like I'm missing stuff. I don't know if I'm giving you all the information. It was just very overwhelming. People were walking past me, looking at me like I was crazy for sitting on a hospital floor. And I was just like, there's some crazy stuff going on on this phone. It was exciting, but I was trying not to get too excited just because I didn't know if they were going to change their minds or if it was even real. But the birth parents didn't change their mind. That next Tuesday, Sadie and Jarvis signed the paperwork at 10 a.m. Directly after, they went to go meet their son for the very first time. His name was Ezra. More with Sadie after a quick break. Welcome back to Love What Matters. Let's dive back into Sadie's story. Since Ezra was born seven weeks early, he was kept in the newborn intensive care unit. So we walked in the NICU and the nurse stopped us at the door and was like, first of all, who are you? And we were like, oh, um, we're his parents. And they were like, oh, okay, well, wash your hands and then come in and sit down. So we walked in and we sat down and I just looked at him and was just like, oh my goodness, like this is a real baby. It wasn't until I held him and then the nurse said, okay, Ezra, here's your mommy. And I was just like, oh my goodness, this is real. Like, this is real life. Like, I have a baby all of a sudden. So much emotion just came over us so quickly. And like, before we knew it, we were taking pictures, taking our first family photo. It was just like, it it was just really unbelievable. And just like us trying to tell our families like, oh, by the way, you're a grandma or an uncle or an aunt, like just overnight was really crazy. Since both Sadie and Jarvis had started new jobs, they weren't able to take any time off while Ezra stayed in the NICU. But that didn't stop either of them. Every moment they weren't at work, they were at the hospital with their son. So I would just go up there every single day and my husband would go up there every day before he went to work because he worked night shift. Sometimes we would be there together. Sometimes it would be just one of us. One day my mom came with me. One day his sister went with him. So we were just, it was part of our routine. Like we woke up, went to work, went to the NICU. That was just what we were doing every day. And during that time, little Ezra was growing stronger. Me and Jarvis had went up to the NICU to see him and we walked in, washed our hands and my husband was taking forever to wash his hands. So I just left him at the sink and I ran in and went to the baby. And I looked down at him and I saw this red mark on his left cheek. And I was like, what is this on his face? For some reason, I was thinking that somebody had done something to him, like pinched him too hard or something like that. So I immediately like jump into mommy mode, like defensive. And I said, what the heck is this on my son's face? And then I looked at him again. I said, oh, his feeding tube is out. Oh my goodness. So it went from like me ready to fight these people to, oh my gosh, like he's doing really good. He's eating on his own. So I went like from literally being the Black Panther to Cinderella like overnight. This amazing thing happened with Sadie and Jarvis. But you know, not all families look alike. And that is the case with this family. Sadie and her husband are African-American and their son, Ezra, is white. For the most part, everything has been super positive. I have had some like negative comments coming from like the African-American community saying, oh, there's so many African-American kids in the system. 
how could you go adopt a Caucasian baby? People don't understand how adoption works. It's not like a grocery store, how you walk in and you say, I want this, 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 and this. Because I think TV portrays it as like an orphanage where you walk in and you're like, oh, I want that one. Like how you do when you go look for a puppy. You're like, I want that one. But it's not the case at all. It's like, if you really want to adopt a child, like you get, you can have preferences, but it makes it a little harder. So people think that we hand selected this child, but it wasn't like that. But the majority of the stuff that we've gotten has been nothing but positivity. Sadie and Jarvis's journey had a happy ending. But Sadie knows her and her family's story isn't the same for everyone. It's a long process. can be tedious. It doesn't happen for everybody like it happened for us. It happened for us off the blue. There are people out there that are going through the adoption process and have been going at it for months or years. So I just say, like, don't give up. Just keep going at it. There's people out there that love you and that are supporting you and that are going through the same thing. There's just some people that just don't know how to say it or don't want to talk about it out loud. So just hang tough because once you get that baby, once you get what you've been waiting for for so long, it's going to be a hundred times worth it. Thanks for listening today. I hope you heard something that inspires and empowers you. For more stories like this one, check out lovewhatmatters.com. This podcast is a production of Love What Matters and iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Colin Balf. The Love What Matters Presents Your Story podcast is produced by Miranda Hawkins and me and mixed by Josh Thane. Emily Marinoff is our engineer and Aaron Kaufman is our editor. Editorial oversight by Miranda Hawkins and me with help from Emily Marinoff and Juliet Muller. Special thanks to Nikki Etor, Kevin Balf, Chris Balf, Wilson Garrett, Red Seat Ventures, and Craig Kitchen. You can find more inspiring stories at lovewhatmatters.com. We'll see you next week.